Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, the podcast that Whitney says I open wrong. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic for the rap. Everyone calls me Bibbs. Uh, I, I said no such thing. You're putting words in my mouth. <laughs> I'm taking the words out of your mouth, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of, remo- sort of moving them around a little <laughs> into an order that back. makes <laughs> into an order that makes more sense to me. Okay. Anyway, who are you? My name is Whitney Seibold. I am I write for uh, Slash Film. I'm a critic as well. Uh, all I was saying was that uh, it didn't require, necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, some sort of cute nickname uh-huh. or, or catchphrase. You could just say, welcome to the podcast. That's true, but at well, some point I do have to explain what the podcast is. Have our, have our listeners come in, okay. and then you say... Here's how it works. Well, here's how it fucking works. All right. <laughs> uh, this is Critically Reclaimed. It's a podcast in which Whitney and I review older movies that are available on various streaming services. Each film, every uh, episode, is a film that at least one of us has never seen before. Yes. Maybe both, but at least one is going into this with absolutely fresh eyes. And every episode is selected by our patrons over at patreon.com slash network. We pick a streaming service. We pick four films from that streaming service. If the streaming service is vast enough, we might narrow it down to a genre or a decade or something. And yeah, we let our patrons pick between the films. And this time, uncritically reclaimed, things are going to get a little secretive. A little enigmatic. A little conspiratorial. A little winter soldiery. We uh, we chose thrillers mm-hmm. from Prime Video, mm-hmm. and uh, you chose a 1970s uh, spy who came in from the wet, I suppose. <laughs> it wasn't so cold out, <laughs> More but it was rainy. Somewhat mushy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, the 70s were a decade that was rife with paranoid thrillers. Uh, about a decade of the Vietnam, uh, the JFK assassination, multiple assassinations, and uh, and Watergate would do that to a decade. So a lot of thrillers. So who can blame the seventies? No, really, like a lot of thrillers, especially as the seventies progressed, uh, were very distrustful of the government, which you know. Yeah, uh, a good reason to. Yeah, and these are very influential films. Many of these were huge star vehicles, and we're talking about one of the most famous of all spy movies. A very influential film. You can still feel its influence today on films like The Bourne Identity or Captain America: The Winter Soldier and beyond. Let's talk about how many days of the Condor? Uh, three days of the Condor. This is Joe Turner. Identify yourself. Condor. Section 9, Department 17. The section's been hit. Level of damage. Dr. Lab, Janice, Ray, Harold. Everybody is dead. Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, Cliff Robertson, Max von Sydow, and John Hausman. <laughs> Three days of the Condor. Rated R. 
which uh, in the original book was six days of the condor. That's they, right. They, they shortened it. Ah, Hollywood, <laughs> cutting out all the fat. Or, or maybe this was going to be an expanded universe thing. Oh, yeah. We'll the get three, to the other first three, three days are now, and the next three days of the condor were the sequel. Yeah. Uh, three Days of the Condor is uh, based on a novel. It was directed by Sidney Pollack. Uh, Sidney Pollack was already one of the most respected filmmakers working. He had already worked with Robert Redford on films like uh, The Way We Were. Uh, Sidney Pollack would go on to make other films that you've no doubt heard of, like Tootsie. Or, um, or uh, what are Out of Africa. Out of Africa, Pollock best picture winning yeah. film. Uh, he worked on Jeremiah Johnson, which is where that one gif of uh, Robert Redford, fully bearded, mm. just slow zoom kind in, kind of nodding. Nodding in approval. That's yeah. from Jeremiah Johnson. That's not Zach Galifianakis. That is Robert Redford. I was shocked when I found out people I, thought I, it was Zach Galifianakis. It, it doesn't look like Zach Galifianakis. No. It looks like Robert Redford and Jeremiah Johnson. What movie uh, do you think that's from with Zach Galifianakis? <laughs> I know nobody saw Due Date, but still, I don't think that scene is in there. Um, Sidney Pollack was also uh, a rather prolific actor, uh, mm. and he acted in films like uh, Eyes Wide Shut, Michael Clayton, uh, I think at least one or two Woody Allen movies as well. Uh he, because he was uh, a, such a forceful director, mm-hmm. he tended to play those kinds of characters. Yeah, very firm mm. individuals. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Three Days is of the a, Condor yeah, I, is is a, is a spy film that he uh, made with Robert Redford. I've seen precious few Sidney Pollack movies oh, really? as a director. Interesting, because uh, I haven't seen Out of Africa. It's and, uh, it's yeah, and it's I'm I not a huge fan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I haven't seen Tootsie since I was a kid. I mm. never saw Absence of Malice. I've only only that. recently projected Jeremiah Johnson, which isn't the same mm. as watching it. Uh, and uh, you saw the firm. We talked about the I firm. See, not I, that saw, long ago. I saw the firm. I'm actually fond of his remake of Sabrina. Um, I prefer the original, but the remake's good. I, I felt his film, The Interpreter, about like, the later films in his career were not so great. Well, The Interpreter was his last, I think, theatrically released film. Mm. Um, well, or at least that, was, was, that was Amazing Grace was his last film. Oh, was it really? Uh, it was a, a, a Aretha Franklin film. Uh, uh-huh. But it was... but. <laughs> that he like had shot it like many years ago like it only just came out like in 2018 uh, Sidney yeah, Pollock had been dead for many years when that came out but fair enough mm-hmm. uh, The Interpreter is a spy film starring Nicole Kidman as an interpreter at the UN mm-hmm. who uh, he overhears people speaking in a very obscure dialect about some kind of criminal conspiracy um yeah, but I, I, I remember the name of the fictional country from that movie what is it, it was co- I was called Matobo um, I, I know, and that irks me it's like I've I've seen a map, you guys. Yeah. I know we, countries. We, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to make one up. Uh, yeah, Sidney Pollock is an interesting director in that he's incredibly talented. He's made a lot of excellent movies, but it's kind of hard to narrow down his imprimatur, his style, mm-hmm. what he brings specifically to a film, other than general classiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all usually impeccably acted, usually very attractive, but. He's not well, like incredibly t- well edited. Very well edited. He he just has a strong storytelling ethos, but his films rarely, if ever, call attention to themselves. The sort of look ma, watch me dive vibe you get from a lot of uh, the so-called auteurs, mm. uh, even the really really good ones. David Lynch calls his shots. It's hard to mistake a David Lynch movie. It's hard to mistake a Tim Burton movie. It's hard to mistake a Michael Bay movie, even. But Sidney Pollock. I mean, you could theoretically watch. Uh, I don't know, random hearts and knock out, well, that must be a Sidney Pollock joint. <laughs> so it's interesting to see him disappear and bring that sort of uh, uh, very natural 
sort of it, it, it takes a lot of effort to achieve that naturalism but mm-hmm. everything he does tends to feel generally rather natural um yeah so this is a this is a spy film that stars Robert Redford and this is Robert Redford who even at the time sexiest man in the world incredibly uh, yeah, he, he attractive was, he was already being. a really really big movie star uh-huh. uh this movie came out in uh, 1975 mm-hmm. which um you know, hovering around the time of All the President's Men, which is yep. a very similar film. Also he was, he was already Redford, working on yeah. that when this movie was in production. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, it's it's a look at the CIA that mm. uh, I think we didn't get a lot of uh, yet. Mm-hmm. Now we think of CIA thrillers, we think of movies like this. This is what the CIA looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is you, you mentioned Captain America: The Winter Soldier, another Robert Redford movie. They mm-hmm. cast him because they wanted people to think about this movie. Absolutely, uh, they did. Yeah, because that's another film in which someone is basically betrayed by the government they were working for, goes mm-hmm. on the lamb, and has to find some way to save their own lives, expose the conspiracy, mm-hmm. and and stay and save lives doing it. Uh, it's just. Yeah. Movies far more adolescent than, oh, sure. uh, than uh, Three Days of the Condor. Yeah, uh, I can't begrudge it that it's a it's a superhero movie, oh, yeah. but like it's, it's if you're gonna if you're gonna steal steal from Three Days of the Condor. I suppose so. That's a know? good point. Yeah, uh, um, there, there are two. Uh, hmm. There's even a scene uh, in both this movie and in Captain America, which are really taught elevator rides. Oh yeah, uh, I hadn't thought about that. It's a good yeah, point. The, yeah. the, this one is is a little bit more like subtle people sneaking in and out of elevators, and Captain America is just a fight scene. True, but regardless, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It's a clear uh, uh, inspiration. Another big inspiration uh, that y- you can definitely see the influences if you've ever read or seen the movie, uh, the Pelican Brief. Oh, the John Grisham movie, yeah, which is also I a cons- who directed that one? That was Alan J. Pakula. Okay, uh, and Some similar a, school of yeah, he came, Pollock, He was yeah. making paranoid thrillers around the same time, uh, and that's one where the plot of Three Days of the Condor, in a nutshell, and we'll talk about it in more detail. Uh, Robert Redford plays a handsome nerd, which is a little against type, but he plays it good. Uh, he okay, plays okay. a handsome nerd working for the CIA at a department, uh, which is basically a think tank, and their whole thing is they read everything. And try to see if there is maybe some hidden connections that the CIA isn't noticing. Come up with ideas for special operations based on, oh, this pulp spy novelist had a neat idea for a murder. Maybe we could use that someday. Uh, and then one day... And and, uh, and that's all uh, Robert Redford does. Yeah, um, he's just a bookworm. He... he uh... Like, he has to go in through the security gate, and he has to, yeah. you know, scan his badge and everybody else. But this is, like, the most boring office you can think of. He and works I, in archives. And, like, and he doesn't I, do anything cool. And I love cool. The, the opening scenes. Oh, like, my, the, my my child who was born in 1978 library-loving kid is just... <laughs> wants to touch out and, like, reach out and touch all the cards. People are, like, scanning yeah. things into dot matrix printers. Oh, my God, and, yeah. yeah. All, that level of technology just it's, made me salivate. I remember card catalogs. Uh, yeah, oh, we, we talked great. recently about uh, uh, futzing around with microfiche yeah. and what, the, what it was like to get periodical. <laughs> By the way, the futzing with microfiche is our new podcast. We're going to debut on the Critically Acclaimed <laughs> Network. We're Nothing not... but microfiche yeah. every week. That was, was a uh, a really wonderful film came out last year called My Salinger Year oh, yeah. uh, with Margaret Margaret Qualley and. Uh, Part of the, it takes place in the '90s, but part of the deal is they don't won't update their literary office at all. It's mm-hmm. like all old tech, and they all have yeah. these old card catalogs, and like so much time is in that office. Like, yeah, let's just have a movie there. It's just a work day, mm-hmm. just sitting around. Uh, so they pull you in right away with the atmosphere. Yeah, and the atmosphere and, is uh, just and this was normal. counter counter to type. 
Mm. You're, you keep you keep cutting I, me off. I, I, well, you you cut me out because I was trying <laughs> to give people the basic gist of the plot so I can explain how it influenced the Pelican Brief, and now we're off on microfiche. That's <laughs> so, fine. Let, 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 well, let me do it. Let <laughs> me finish making my point real fast. So All the right. point is, he's a bookworm working for the CIA. He goes to work one day. Uh, he goes out to pick up lunch, and when he comes back, everyone's dead, mm. and he's on the run. And people at the CIA are either trying to kill him or think he's the killer. And he picks up Faye Dunaway, who's a you know regular person on the street who gets sucked into his mm. criminal conspiracy. And Max Wansiedow, uh plays a, a hitman who's on the trail. Uh, that's the basic gist of it. Uh, Pelican Brief, if you'll recall, uh, was about someone who was also a nerd. They were a legal She's student. She's a law student, yeah. And she just happened to publish a theory... About why suddenly, like one or two, like Supreme Court justices died, and it turns out that that was actually accurate, and now everyone's after her, even though she didn't even know she did anything wrong. It was just a theory. So here, something in their research, he doesn't know what. Something mm. in their research, some just a typical everyday. Oh, that's interesting. I'll make a note of that. And now everyone he knows is dead. <laughs> uh, and you're right. This is a great, great, great movie with an opening that is full of characters who are memorable. Mm-hmm. Like everyone at this office, from like the older lady who like is like working reception, but like every time someone enters the door, you see her hand go into like a drawer that with case she needs to shoot somebody. She's it's awesome. A, uh, you uh, see, well, yeah. safety, and of course, I'm, I'm not. It's the I'm CIA. Not, There's bad guys there all the I'm time. I'm not judging her. I'm just saying that, like, she, she's, she's, she's mm. there for it. She's ready to kill at a moment's notice, and I love her for it. Uh, there's the boss who thinks that you're wasting everyone's time with your crackpot theories about like novels that were only published in Arabic and Dutch for some reason. Uh, there's someone who he's apparently dating, but we're not going to get into that too much. There's like just dweeby guys who have like. Got those like terrible like locked room crime mystery gimmicks, like you know. It's just like okay, so here's the deal: you go into a room, the room is locked, okay, and then someone was shot in there with what looks like like a thirty eight caliber bullet. But here's the thing: there's no bullet. What happened? And everyone's trying to figure it out, and Robert Redford's like, "Ice bullet." <laughs> Ice, so just melted. And they're like, "How did you know that? What did what did you what did you read that from?" Dick Tracy, <laughs> like he's a he's a nerd, and I would love that. It would be so cool to do this today, mm. where like it was like a comic book nerd, like someone at like Comic Con <laughs> had like uncovered like, all like, these spy plots I, from comic. Book I authors. had this fan theory about Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it turns out the CIA was actually going to do that, and now you're on the run, and only your comic book knowledge can save you. Like it's that level of like kind of fan fiction because that's who he is. He's the nerdy guy who reads pulp novels. Mm. Except he just happens to work for the CIA. By the way, the CIA didn't have an organization like that. That was not no, a thing. No, it was all completely fictional. It was all completely uh, fictional. But then you know what happened? They saw this movie. Well, the Russians saw this movie. <laughs> they thought, oh, the CIA must have one of those, and they started their own department. And then the CIA found out that the Russians started their own department, <laughs> and they're like, well, I guess we should too. And then they started their own Three Days of the Condor department. That's wonderful. Weird, right? Uh... I, I appreciate that, that yeah. the writers of fiction are more creative than the actual spies. Yeah, but they have to they have <laughs> that to does not cri- shock me. They have to crib ideas from from books. movies, yeah, and movies things. and yeah. books. That's a fun idea, mm. and it's and it's such an Although insulting uh, thing for a writer to come up with. Which uh, we're living through a curtain, uh, certain uh, mm. 
era of American politics where a lot of people don't read who are politicians. Yeah. Like, they deliberately don't read. And they discourage others from reading as well, mm. or tell people not to trust and, anything they read. And it really shows yeah. in the, the way they sort of speak and analyze. Mm-hmm. You know, comprehension is down Re- across the board. Remember when they were, like, the people used to analyze, like, Trump's speeches and the things he would write, and they mm. said, like, he actually, like, speaks... He actually speaks and writes at, like, a third grade level. Yeah, like, between yeah. third and fifth grade or something. Yeah. Like, elementary school level. Yeah. And people saying, oh, well, uh, some people said, oh, that's like kind of a, a relations tactic. He's trying to he's, he be sure speak he can, to everybody. He speaks to everybody. No, he's just dumb. He's just not a very he, bright he's, person. He's as smart as that. That's the level yeah. he speaks at. He doesn't yeah. know how to speak more in a more sophisticated fashion what, what, what was behind it, closed doors. What was it John Oliver called all the scandals of the Trump White House? Like stupid Watergate? They just called it stupid Watergate. Like yeah. it's just as bad as Watergate, but everything is stupid and awful about yeah. it. Because we like to think... The whole point of a conspiracy theory, by the mm. way, uh, isn't that isn't that there's actually there are conspiracies out there, but usually there isn't. Usually, it's just stuff that happens. But we like to think when we come up with a conspiracy theory that there is this like secret tribunal that is cleverly running things and everything's moving like clockwork. Like they've got these brilliant plans to manipulate elections and convince the world that the earth is round when it's actually flat and also crab people are hidden underneath the streets. Crab people. (laughs) Right? But like there's always... Dante, do you want to get out of that box? We have a new new naughty cat to yell at here. (laughs) It's just... Half box. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) But the point is this. Conspiracy theories are weirdly reassuring. It makes you think that things are working in a well, way. Like that's, people that's are why... smart and actually trying to do things and have like yeah, a that's... scheme that makes sense. When in actuality, the people who are doing bad things are usually just blindly like reaching out and just doing terrible things without really thinking about the consequences they, they and just, just weaseling they, out of it. All they want to do is bad things, yeah. and they're trying to. Uh... Do it in such a way where they won't get caught. Yeah, but like it's the, not a grand conspiracy. Uh, it reminds me of like the, the, the Trunchbull and Matilda, where they said like the, if the Trunchbull just did like one bad thing, every parent would be mad at her. But she does everything so unbelievably horribly that no one believes how that, bad she is. That, that, that can't possibly be. She didn't pick a girl up by her pigtails and throw her across the playground, which <laughs> happens in that book. It's like no, that's ridiculous. Who would believe such a thing? Mm. But she, she did it. Mm. She could just do it in public. So yeah. Uh, Conspiracy theories uh, make sense of things. It connects yeah. dots, and then the world and, is uh, chaos. And yeah. it weirdly, it's weirdly comforting to think mm. that the world makes sense, even if it is yeah. and, in uh, your head mounted against you. And yeah, but, you know the the lies surrounding the Vietnam War, uh, yeah. Watergate made people see these conspiracies sort of writ large on a certain level for the first time, and that's what's reflected in uh, Three Days of the Condor. Conspiracies used. Uh, I like the fun conspiracies. Like what? Like like, like you know UFOs, Bigfoot, lizard, yeah. lizard people, uh, the ones that feel like a science fiction movie. Those are the fun conspiracies. Yeah, it's, it was really uh, fun to think of those back in the nineties. But like mm. nowadays, when you think about it, it's like why would you go all that trouble to hide Bigfoot? Yeah, like. Yeah. Wh- what would we do Look, if we found out Bigfoot was real? Would we Big- like take to the streets? What would we? Bigfoot is a code name. Oh, Bigfoot is a government agent. Codename code, Bigfoot. Codename Bigfoot. Nice. I'm sure it's been done. Uh, and you can yeah, see him like is... some suave like ladies' man kind of thing. Like you know what they say about uh, uh, cryptids with big feet. <laughs> <laughs> They're friends with Mothman. Yeah. Uh, uh, but oh, yeah. Th- please stop that. Get but away. back to Three Days of the Condor. Uh, 
such a naughty cat. What Sidney Pollack did is he took this pretty outlandish conceit that yeah. the CIA has a readers group. Yeah. The, the CIA made, has a book club. A book club. <laughs> a, he made the CIA seem kind of down to earth. Yep. That's really relatable. You could get a job there, couldn't you? If you and it would really just be like, it would be like your office. Yeah, you just know just, people, you go and, to lunch. Yeah, the CIA yeah. looks like a regular office. Yeah. And he's also really good, and I love when directors do this, about uh, geography. Yeah. Spatial continuity, where exits and entrances are to buildings. Mm-hmm. The within entire, like, within the first like five third, minutes, yeah. you know the outline of that yeah. whole building. Uh, yeah. Like, he takes you in through the front door. He puts the camera mm. in the same angle every time somebody enters a room. You kind of know where everything is. You could get around that building. Yeah. So when shit goes down right right at the beginning of the movie and Robert Redford has to run out, you know what path he has to take. This is something that so many filmmakers really seem to struggle with. And I realize mm. sometimes well, it's, you are a lot playing of it's with... virtual cinema now. Well, but... a lot of it's virtual cinema, but that's no excuse. You can control the landscape. You, can, mm. you don't have to work around any sort of reality. You can make sure it's clear because you know exactly where, it's, where everything is. But it's not about you knowing where it is. It's about the audience knowing. Now, sometimes... You want to obfuscate uh, the geography in order to discombobulate the viewer, because like or, they're they're lost, they're in a labyrinth or something yeah. like that. They're lost in the woods. Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, the physical space where you're shooting doesn't look like that. You need to connect an exit to a different building to the yeah. interior of a different one. So a great trick for that is just put a sign on the door. So if like you're gonna leave out a door in like your soundstage just put like fire exit on it and mm. then when you go to your location shoot and they go out the door on, in another just building fire right, escape sign right on audience there. will never know the difference it's genius the door could be a different color and you'd get away with it like it's <laughs> incredible um but i've seen so many filmmakers good filmmakers like academy award-winning filmmakers sometimes who will not really care about introducing us to a space, which is especially frustrating when we're going to spend a lot of time there. Like, I just saw a movie, I'm Embargo, but I just saw a movie that's coming out pretty soon from a pretty major filmmaker, and it most of it takes place in a pretty confined location, and I, like, I don't know where we are half the time. You, mm-hmm. We need establishing shots. We need yeah, shots yeah. where we follow actors from place to place so that we understand what is what and where everything is because that's going to be really important later. Right. And here where there's going to be like a shootout and a chase, we need that. Uh, and that shootout happens, right? That's the yeah. instigating, uh, the opening event of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Where uh, Robert Redford goes in, he clocks in, uh, he rides a bike. Uh, like you said, yeah. he's a nerd. He's also like a bit of a loner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because people who look like Robert Redford and are totally as confident honest. and and charming as Robert Redford is in this movie, typically don't talk to a lot of people and it, live alone. It's implied that he's dating one of his coworkers at least a little, like at least mm. they're sleeping together once in a while. <laughs> but like, maybe, probably not like a serious relationship. Otherwise, he'd probably be mourning her more. Mm. But like, th- there's there's they meet and they sort of kiss, and he doesn't like kiss anyone else on the cheek or anything like that. And later on in the film, after everyone's dead and he wakes up, someone said he he said her name. Oh. In his sleep, so like there's there's at least right. a meaningful connection there, but yeah. apparently not so much that she's the only person he can think about. Yeah, but, um, uh, but yeah, right at the beginning, Max von Sydow breaks in with mm-hmm. uh, a few other uh, toughs with guns, uh-huh. and they're uh, dressed in plain clothes. Mm-hmm. They have the look that assassins would have in movies from then on out, <laughs> sort of like the the tan long coat and the black gloves and the hat. Yeah, uh, they look like the guys from the Taking of Pelham One Two Three a they little do. bit, they, which I and guess it, is just what people wore in the cold weather in New York in the seventies. It, it turned into a costume though at some point, uh, and and they lay waste to everybody, yeah, and it's in a this slaughter. really meticulous fashion. The scene goes on for a long time, and uh, yeah, Robert Redford flees out the back. He doesn't know what happened, and he tries mm. to get a hold of his bosses. 
yeah, through like payphones. And he gets and he cuts on the payphone and he's like and at first he's 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 in the CIA. He's never done anything like this. And so his immediate thing is, give me the CIA. And there's a guy like behind like this big, like one of those big computers they had in the 70s where you don't know what all the space is dedicated to, <laughs> but there are a lot of lights blinking out of sequence. So, you know, they're doing something. And he's like, uh, you know, you know, you gotta do like a code word. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, this is Condor. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's my code name. I'm Condor. And uh, yeah, everyone's fucking dead. <laughs> the guy's like, are you calling from a safe phone? No, I'm calling from a pay phone. Why are you calling from a payphone, you idiot? <laughs> so they tell him to go hide while they investigate everything. And sure enough, there's two kinds of people at the CIA. People who are in on it and trying to kill him. And people who aren't in on it and are being misled by the other people who are in on it into thinking Robert Redford has is working for the other side. He's a mercenary. Somehow he's gone rogue. Well, and what I love about this movie is for the longest time... I had a, because it's Robert Redford. Mm. I couldn't possibly assume that he did anything wrong. And that's yeah. some pretty smart casting because yeah. Robert Redford is not to be suspected in this movie. No, he, Robert Redford. The vibe you get from Cats in America and the Marvel movies, yeah. Robert Redford invented that vibe. <laughs> like he's just that good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, if you cast a, if you cast uh, like a. Maybe like a less trustworthy actor. Who would be somebody in the 70s? Uh, Gene be, Hackman. There you go. Gene Hackman yeah. might be up to something. And he did the, the conversation. Yeah, there so, you go. Um, yeah. uh, but um, because it's Robert Redford, you kind of know what's going on mm-hmm. in that he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. When he says, I don't do anything wrong, we believe Robert Redford. Yeah. You got Walter Matthau in that role? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, you're Walter Matthau. You did something wrong. It's so funny because uh, Walter Matthau is an actor that everyone who grew up in the 90s with him in movies like right. Out to Sea and Grumpy Old Men thinks of him as a wonderfully befuddled old fellow. <laughs> and in the 70s, he was a murdering fuck machine. <laughs> what? Have, you seen, have you seen Charlie Varick? Charlie Varick is one of the best crime movies ever made. Walter Matthau plays a bank robber, a hard-boiled bank robber, mm. who robs a bank, but it turns out the money he stole, kind of like at the beginning of The Dark Knight, so you know Christopher Nolan, and saw it was actually from the mafia and so the mafia send their hitman after him played by joe don baker joe don baker is not a very well respected actor but i will say this best role he's ever had he's very good he's very good and it's just joe don baker versus walter matthau and it concludes in joe don baker in a car versus in like a junkyard walter matthau in a biplane and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's so fucking cool. Watch that movie. You're going to love it. I promise you. Um, um, point point being... Yeah, uh, Robert Redford doesn't have it, that darkness to it. Exactly. Yeah. You don't you don't think he's going to be the bad guy. That would be a twist if yeah. it was. Oh, which is what uh, they did in Winter Soldier. That's what they did in Winter Soldier. Yeah, they, yeah. You don't think he's going to be the bad guy. He's Robert fucking Redford. Although they broadcast everything. They like, kind of made I'm, it obvious. But like... It's, I know, I know that's one of the... Uh, of, as the Marvel movies go, I know that's one of the better ones. I'm not too fond of it. Uh, I know. Just... For my own personal, I'm reasons. I'm bringing it back to uh, it because I think it's a it's a, something that people will know even if they don't know Three Days of the Condor, and mm-hmm. hopefully that'll give you something to work with. Yeah, it's sort of like a, a yeah. modern turning yeah. point for this one. Yeah. Uh, so when Robert Redford gets his bosses on the phone, you're instantly suspicious of all the bosses. Oh yeah, every single one of them, uh, including uh, who who plays Higgins, uh, Cliff, Robertson. Cliff Robertson, the great Ruben. Cliff Robertson, uh, Oscar winner by this time for the movie Charlie, which is very 60s, but his performance is great. Uh, he plays uh, a guy with a low IQ who goes on experimental drug and becomes Charlie, really brilliant. Yeah. yeah, Charlie. He plays a guy with a low IQ. He goes on experimental drug. He becomes brilliant, but then becomes disillusioned with society because he's too smart for it. Really great movie. Uh, 
And of course, nowadays people probably know him best as Uncle Ben from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, which he was also really wonderful in. He, he did what he needed to do. It was an important role. He needed to have that emotional like attachment to him. He's wonderful. Um, here, I for I swear to God, for three scenes, I thought it was William Devane, <laughs> which would have been fine too. Which uh, would have been totally. It's totally a William I, Devane I, kind of role. Yeah, yeah. I, I love William Devane. He's so uh, great. Watch Rolling Thunder. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say about Rolling Thunder. Oh, Devane. yeah, great fucking um, movie. But, uh, yeah, as, as each time, uh, and Robert Redford is constantly encouraged to do vaguely suspect things by mm-hmm. his boss. Like, you got to hide out. Now meet us at this, like, location where we could easily shoot you. Yeah, I want you to go and, to this uh, alley at this exact time from this exact place, mm-hmm. and we will bring someone who knows you. And it's like, well, you don't know anyone I trust. You, you worked with this guy for a little while, right? Yeah, I guess. Okay, we'll get him. <laughs> and then he gets there, and sure enough, they immediately start shooting at him. He's like, oh, shit. And then they shoot his friend. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, th- th- this is a, a mounting oh, shit kind of movie. Every yeah. time you feel like you have a handle on something, somebody gets shot. It's the Raymond Chandler approach. Yeah. It's like something, once the story starts to become coherent, two guys burst in with guns and yeah. just foul everything up. There's always a twist. Yeah. And then and, uh, and yeah. then he... It's about this time in the movie where he runs into Faye Dunaway for the first time, and yeah. she is a, a civilian. She's just an innocent mm-hmm. bystander, and he just gets in her car and essentially yeah. kidnaps her. The innocent bystander who gets dragged by the protagonist into the conspiratorial plot is a really old trope in movies. I mean, y- y- you mm. think you know it's it from a, James it's a Hitchcock Bond, thing, but yeah, yeah, it goes back at least as far as the early Hitchcock thrillers. Um, I'm trying to think, of the actual first time he did it, it might have been Young and Innocent. Not sure. Hmm. But regardless, you've seen more of those early Hitchcocks. Yeah, so, like I, yeah. I, th- I think it might be Young and Innocent was the first one he did with that. But it's not actually a great movie. But I, hmm. uh, regardless, it's the person who just gets pulled into it. They disbelieve the protagonist, uh, but the, he needs someone to work with. He needs someone's help. He can't do it all by himself. In this case, he like ducks into like an Army Navy surplus store or something in order to like get a new jacket, disguise himself. And he happens to overhear that Faye Dunaway is first off there, and she's Faye Dunaway, so she'll be in the movie. It'd be weird if she wasn't. But uh It'd be kinda cool. It's just a cameo from <laughs> Faye Dunaway. She's just like buying, Oh hey, I'd like to buy these skis. Oh, thank you. Okay, bye. I was Faye Dunaway, everybody. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> no, he, he finds out that she's like on her own. She's going to go visit someone in the mountains. Everyone thinks she's going to be gone for a while. So he like zeroes in on her. And uh, yeah, pulls a gun on her. For a second, I thought he was going to do that thing they do in movies, which is basically like, just just play along and then you get mm. and then you kiss him and it's basically like uh, it's basically like forgive me for the sexual assault I'm about to do like it's somehow okay when James Bond does it they did that in Captain America too oh, shit. well at least they knew each other in that one <laughs> at so. least they, it's, it's totally different when it's a stranger I've seen movies where people do it with an absolute stranger oh, yeah. and yeah. it's sort of fine Faye Dunaway talks about shooting this movie and like you know, the plot of, the, of her plot is she is held at gunpoint by Robert Redford she's taken back to her apartment and he needs a place to lie low where no one would ever suspect mm. he was there so he's hanging out at her apartment but he can't let her go because she might tell someone that she was abducted so he ties her up and she not knowing what the fuck this guy's deal is she doesn't know that he's the protagonist of the movie Mm. as far as she's concerned he's a kidnapper and he 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 even says i i haven't like sexually assaulted you and she's like the night is young yeah (laughs) i don't know that i don't know that you're not a monster so faye dunaway has to play it like she's really terrified of this guy at least until he earns her trust which is a little thin but anyway uh and she talked about uh, how again robert redford well that's what faye (laughs) Faye dunaway talked about she said look 
Robert Redford takes you home and ties you up, you're going to have a slightly different reaction <laughs> than if, like, like someone... Walter Matthau. Like, yeah, exactly. So, like, she says... So, trying to be afraid of Robert Redford was actually really tricky, and so in actually a lot of scenes, apparently, uh, where she's supposed to be scared and Robert Redford isn't on camera, mm-hmm. Robert Redford wasn't there, and it was Sidney Pollock. Oh, gosh, Like, yeah. playing the... You know, they dubbed it in later, but, like, he was the one, like, saying much more menacing things, and it's like, yeah, I have no sexual chemistry with you, Sidney Pollock. I'll actually be scared. Like, so it's a We're, different vibe. You know, there, there are people in the world mm-hmm. who find Sidney Pollock incredibly alluring. I'm sure Same with are. Walter Matthau. I don't want to get yeah, down on these guys. I'm just saying Robert Redford has a certain star power. Yeah. yeah that he's, just... He's got that it quality. Yeah, right? exactly. So, like, yeah, it, it might be weird to play off of him if he was playing a serial killer. You'd be mm-hmm. like, no, Robert... No, you're too nice. Thanks. You, though. You, you've seen the uh, the Twilight Zone with Robert Redford, oh, it's right? Great yeah. it's a great <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything about that because the, the twist is really no. Great, it's good, but, but it's it's about this old lady who uh, never leaves her apartment, and then one night a guy comes like knocking at her door saying it's an emergency. I need you to open the door, and it's Robert Redford. And the entire episode, so, almost entirely, like very young Robert Redford, very right? young, incredible, like angelically handsome Robert Redford. And, like, almost the entire episode is just Robert Redford on one side of the door, this old lady on the other side of the door, and him trying to get her to open the door. And you don't know what'll happen when the door opens. Mm. It's got to happen eventually, right? It's Chekhov's door. (laughs) But, like, you do not know what's going to happen. Great episode of television. Wonderful episode of television. Uh, So, Faye Dunaway, uh, over time, gradually realizes that Robert Redford is not the bad guy here. Mm. Uh, Frankly, I don't buy it. Uh, it's I don't uh, after it's the, after it's she my sees least someone favorite part of the movie the whole after she sees someone yeah. try to kill him later in the movie yeah. sure before then no I yeah. don't buy it at all I I wish that uh, there weren't like romantic or sexual chemistry at all between yeah these two characters it's, it's okay that Robert Redford he needs somebody he can trust and a stranger is more trustworthy than his bosses I understand what they're saying yeah it, or even if it, and, even uh, if it's even if he did trust them mm. the CIA would know he knew them and would go to see them and might yeah. look for him there so he's got to find a stranger has to sense. find a stranger all all yeah. of that makes sense from like a plot perspective yeah the characters perspective all that makes sense the fact that they not just come to trust each other, but that they become lovers. Yeah, in one night. Is, in like less than a day. Yeah, it's... It's really forced. Again, Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway, fine. Yes, uh, you know, it's I like, do get it. There's another another uh, spy movie, kind of a clever comedy spy movie mm. called Night and Day with uh, Tom Cruise I like and, that movie. and Cameron Diaz. A lot it's of people a, like that it's movie. It's a clever movie. It's it's a spy movie from the perspective of Faye Dunaway. Uh, yeah, like it, it's going about Faye <laughs> she Dunaway doesn't know going anything else going and on. And this guy suddenly swoops in and then like drops her off later and then he's just out of the movie for a little while. Yeah, and then, and then he, he comes shows back up later. Later it's later so like flying fun. a Harrier jet. Hey, my mission's going really great. I need I, you again. I seriously, I really fucking love that movie. <laughs> that movie is really but underappreciated. You kind of get it because it's Tom Cruise. He's got that kind of movie star quality and she's Cameron Diaz so it's like oh they're two very dazzling movie stars of course they're just going to run off together Mm -hmm. Uh, so the casting goes a long way to cover up the, the sort of laziness of that yeah it would have been a more satisfying movie had they had no romantic chemistry I here's here's what I would have done uh, even if they have their, they might just have chemistry, and you can't control that. That happens sometimes with actors. Like yeah. you just, they just have a vibe. Mm. Um, it's awkward I, when you get that with like characters who are playing family members. It can happen. Like act, yeah. actors have like a lot of good sexual chemistry, but they're like playing brother and sister, so you it's don't know really what weird. vibe you're supposed to be yeah, getting from no, this movie. That's always odd. Yeah. Um, but in any case, um, for me, if, if it were, if it were, I, I get that this is. 
It bothers me because this whole idea of, like, you know, you take a random beautiful woman, one of the most beautiful women in the world at the time, Faye Dunaway, you know, happens to find their way into this story. And it becomes, instead of a paranoid thriller, kind of like a pulpy fantasy where Faye Dunaway is going to fall in love with you, nerdy guy in the audience watching Three Days of the Condor. Mm. And I just don't fucking buy it. But, like, I think it might have been okay if they don't sleep together. Okay. And but like at towards the end when he tells her you have to run away and it, you're it's not safe for you and she leaves and she leaves to go be with like her boyfriend. Mm. If she had just given him a kiss. Like one like pretty pretty neutral you want to read something into it, you can, but just he gets one kiss. Like, maybe that would have been okay, just if you wanted to acknowledge sexual tension between Faye Dunaway and Robert Redford. But I would not have them have sex. It does not read right. It reads really forced. It reads really uncomfortable. Like, you're not sure, it's like, is she actually into this, or does she just think this is the way she's going to stay survive this altercation? It's weird for a while. Yeah, I... I... I don't get what she's getting out of this. Uh, now, when uh, you're looking at this from sort of like a, a pulp spy novel mm-hmm. perspective, and this male is, power this fantasy, is, bullshit, it's a male yeah. power fantasy. It's yeah. you know, you're projecting yourself into Robert Redford, who wouldn't want to. And uh, sure. you know, I, now I look like Robert Redford. I'm really smart. I work for the CIA, and I'm clever enough to outsmart these other people, mm-hmm. and f- just happen to fall into the bed of this attractive actress. It's all all <clears throat> male perspective stuff. Yeah. Uh, heterosexual male hetero heteronormative yeah. white yeah. male spy fantasy right uh, common thing you see in all the spy movies. James Bond was already a cliche by this point long yeah. since a cliche yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It, when I saw Casino Royale the 60s Casino Royale mm-hmm. for the first time it was very eye opening about sort of public views of James Bond yeah because that was a lampoon of how sexy James Bond was at the like right at the start yeah there's only been a handful of james bond movies at that point mm-hmm. it wasn't like 20 movies deep like people already figured out that there was a fucking formula and that he was a and sexist thing and that it was really dumb and that <laughs> yeah. he was sexist and they were already making fun of it in yeah. other movies yeah uh i love casino royale by the That's way it's such great. an underrated spoof it's so smart mm. like it's it's really really if, if you as long as you don't like put James Bond on a pedestal as though like somehow the James Bond as though somehow Moonraker is like above (laughs) any form of criticism Casino Royale is more dignified than Moonraker and and I don't even hate Moonraker but let's just be fair here it's hardly upper (laughs) echelon James Bond but like it's if you can't like look at something like Moonraker if you can't look at something like Die Another Day and say to yourself okay there's some criticisms to be made if you can do that, you'll enjoy the old Casino Royale. Just appreciate that it is making fun of and satirizing the world of James Bond. Um, so, he seduces, kind of, not really trying to, but it just sort of happens, fade done away. Um, and uh, meanwhile, the conspirators in the CIA are still working with Max von Sydow, who plays a hitman named Lucifer. <laughs> Subtle, super duper subtle. Uh, there's a great bit you already mentioned it uh, when uh, Lucifer and Condor meet for the first time. Uh, he there was one guy who didn't go into work that day, and Robert Redford suspects maybe he was the guy who's like the mole or something like that. Mm. So he goes to visit him and he finds out he's already dead. So not only does that been a complete dead end, but he's also exposed himself because that's a place he might plausibly have gone. And indeed, Max Wansita was there. 
And they end up in the same elevator, and they both know. <laughs> but it's a crowded building at, like, prime time, you know, 8 o'clock at night day, or something. Yeah. So, like, well, it's at night, but it's early evening. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. It's, like, early evening, so everyone's out and about coming home from work or whatever. So the elevator is crowded. People keep getting on and off. And then, like, it happens so many times. There's even a guy who, like, walks in there and presses multiple buttons, like Plucky Duck. <laughs> like... He uh, uh, there's even a bit where a couple of kids get on and they're just doing stupid kid shit. And Max Wancito looks like the Condor, the guy he's getting ready to kill, and he's like, "Kids, right?" I was like that once. <laughs> Max Wancito is so fucking amazing in this movie, which is hardly a surprise. He's never been bad in anything that I'm aware of, but I love him in this movie because he is a seasoned pro. It's like he's out of a like Michael Mann are... movie. He's just he's just a professional, and he is not cut up in anyone's bullshit. And there's a there's a scene he has with Rob Redford at the end, which is one of my favorite scenes in any movie in the genre, which we'll talk about in a oh, bit. Well, but like he's so fucking yeah, great. We'll, we'll we'll talk about the ending uh, a yeah. little bit on this. So uh, if if you're gonna see Three Days of the Condor, yeah. I guess we'll have to stay, you know, stop listening well, at some point. Uh, generally speaking, Critically Reclaimed, we announced it, like, uh, if, if you're on the Patreon, you can find mm-hmm. out what it is ahead of time, uh, just by looking at the winner of the poll. Uh, but we expect you to have seen it, so we do talk a lot in detail about one film. Um, but yeah, if you don't want to know how these things end, I guess, you know, hmm. pause it now would be a good time. But yeah, we'll get to it. But uh, you, you pointed out once that uh, the reason people like assassin movies as much as they do is mm-hmm. because assassins... As they are depicted in movies, uh-huh. because they're not real. <laughs> There's been like two assassins in all of all of human history, uh, uh, and, and not like people who happen to kill someone important, but like a professional. That's right. Like, like it's not somebody who does it for a living. This, this is like my full time job as I'm an assassin. Like I'm sure yeah. there are people like who have committed yeah, like, assassinations, yeah. but it's probably yeah, uh, just like, one part of their job. I, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, John Wilkes Booth didn't kill many presidents. Yeah. You know, he killed he, one. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't in the in the yellow pages. It was yeah. just like assassin for hire. Um, ask for Booth. I'm sure that's been done. Where like John Wilkes Booth has like he he goes back to his home, opens up a fake wall, and there's like mm-hmm. a rack of guns behind it. Uh, the reason those kinds of movies, those professional assassin movies, are so appealing is because the people are typically very good at their jobs. Yeah. Look at something like John Wick. Yeah. Everybody is excellent assassins in John Wick. So when two assassins fight, it's a really complicated process yeah. of dodging and parrying and killing people with books and whatnot. But functionally uh, speaking, in that situation, they're basically just superheroes. Or supervillains, rather. Well, nature, now, now you know? in something like John Wick, they yeah. definitely become superheroes. But the idea is, uh, we they're assassins. They murder people. Mm. I don't approve of that. Generally but, speaking, uh, no. But they're exciting to watch because they're good at their job. And yeah. I feel like Max von Sydow certainly didn't uh, pioneer this type of assassin character. No, no. I don't know what the first example of it would of be. I think the first like, prominent, like, not just someone who was the killer in the movie, but who mm. actually had like at least a good subplot. Like he got to know him. I wonder who the first like actual like assassin character Professional like that assassin was. Character I mean, it, it goes back at least as far as Le Samurai, the Jean-Pierre Melville oh, yeah. uh, uh, film, which was inspired by uh, samurai films. But uh, basically it was about an incredibly suave, uh, like well-dressed, well-mannered, but utterly professional uh, mm. French hitman. Yeah. Uh, and a really great fucking movie. 
really, oh, what really a, great I mean, movie. Jean-Pierre Melville cannot do wrong. Like, but yeah. like truly excellent. If you have, if you've never seen it, you'll see like, oh, that's where John Woo got that from, and that's where, <laughs> that's where John Wick got that from, and you can see like just how amazingly influential that particular film is. Mm. So at least goes back as far as that. But I'm just trying to. I don't know actually. I'm gonna have to look that up. I never really. Th- it never occurred to me to look that up before. Like how far back. Mm-hmm. The professional assassin as a character who actually gets, if not the protagonist of the story, then gets like a reasonable amount of screen time. You get to know them really well. I don't know. Interesting. Mm. I'll look into that. Yeah, but uh, we, even though he's uh, kind of monstrous, we're really afraid of Max von Sydow, mm-hmm. but we also kind of respect Max von Sydow. Yeah. A, a, because another wonderful bit of casting, mm-hmm. and yeah. also uh, because he's really good at what he does. Yeah. Uh, we get to see him lay waste to this office. That makes him scary. But then when we see him later in the movie, we get to see, oh, wait, that was one job. Yeah. He's he, just doing, he, he, has, he has no vested yeah. interest and in He doesn't care. Mm. He just was paid to do that. And then he did it. And then when we finally see him, we only see him like for one brief moment where he's not on the job. He's in his hotel room. He's just staying at the Holiday Inn. He's just in his hotel room. And he's like painting little chess figurines or something like that, or like little <laughs> little toy soldiers or something to that effect. They couldn't was, quite make yeah. out exactly what they were. But like, if you know people who like, I buy a lot of like Warhammer 40k figurines <laughs> and paint them. Max von Sydow is really into Warhammer. But like, this is like the Comic Con version again. Like Max von Sydow would be painting Warhammer, but here he's just painting like you know little figurines. Yeah. Um. It's the only hint we get that he has like any other interests other than work. Because, yeah, other than that, he's just doing his fucking job. He doesn't care about Robert Redford. If they yeah, told him to stop hunting Robert Redford, he would. And it's not that he's cold. He's just dispassionate. He's, yeah. he's just doing it the way a professional would. Yeah, he doesn't have... He, he, he doesn't see anything wrong with it. He's just... This is the gig. If he didn't do it, someone else would. Mm-hmm. So, uh... Robert Redford gets away just through clever crowd work. He asks a bunch of kids to join him to do something, and Max von Sydow can't get a good shot when he tries to shoot him from across the street. But Max von Sydow does get a look at the license plate of Faye Dunaway's car. So after they sleep together, a postman shows up with a package, and this is the moment after they've already slept together. I still feel like this is reversed. This should have happened earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faye Dunaway realizes that Robert Redford was... She knew he was in trouble, but now she realizes that the CIA thing has some validity. So there's a fight, and the fight reminds me a lot of the fight in the Matt Damon Born Identity. Uh, which one? There were quite a few. Well, the first, the, no, the Born Identity, not the Born Ultimatum or the Born Supremacy, oh, okay. the first movie. All right. Uh, when the Born Identity came out, uh, it had come out like after James Bond had kind of shot itself in the foot. Uh, Die Another Day had been kind of well, a, a, a fiasco. It, it wasn't just James Bond. Uh, yeah. It was 9-11. Well, that was uh, a huge part was, of it. Uh, the kind of playful spy antics, uh, the sort of yeah. Cold War spy antics, which they were really trying to... They got Pierce Brosnan to try to like mm. carry it beyond the end of the Cold War. I think they did it really mm. well with GoldenEye. Pretty well with uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. It's a, it's a solid flick. Well, it's not, not enough, enough. It's not very good. Uh, and Die Another Day is one of the worst. So, yeah. Because that ha- that one came out in 2002. And they were really trying to say, well, how are we going to do James Bond in post 9-11? And they couldn't. They couldn't figure it out. Because James uh, Bond had just built up this the way James Bond movies worked. Yeah, and, and it just didn't function anymore. Yeah, that, and that, that's why uh, the 
new Casino Royale mm-hmm. uh, struck as hard as it did. They had it to like stripped it down. They really had to change James Bond to fit into this new sort of political climate. And one of the thing, and of of the several contemporary films that James Bond ripped off in order to get Casino Royale to have that vibe, it's actually a pretty faithful adaptation of the book. But the vibe that they were going for, and this is something James Bond did constantly. You do not last as a movie franchise for sixty years without adapting to the times once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like, "What's what's hip right now? How is this working?" And one of the things that they uh, cribbed from was a French movie called District B thirteen, which introduced the idea of parkour into the action movie vernacular. That movie is pretty kick-ass. But the big thing that they ripped off was The Bourne Identity. Hmm. And The Bourne Identity was from Doug Lyman, who was not a famous action movie filmmaker really at the time. I think he'd already done Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh-huh. Or maybe he hadn't. I don't remember. Uh, no, no, they, that, that, that was later. That was later? Yeah. Okay. So this, it was he was off of movies like <clears throat> Swingers and Go. He was not like a Hollywood action filmmaker. And it was starring Matt Damon, who was not a Hollywood action superstar. <sighs> Excuse me. Bless you. <sighs> Uh, and it was based off of a novel that had previously been turned into a TV movie starring... Oh, it was Robert what's... Ludlum, wasn't it? Robert Ludlum was the author, and then the movie starred... Who was the guy from The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers? He was also Alan Quarterman in oh, the uh, 80s. Oh, uh, Michael York? No, 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 the other guy. The other guy. The other... The other. Uh, he had a mustache. <laughs> Why am I? I want to call him Whit Stillman, and I know that's totally wrong. Whit Stillman is a director. I'm aware of uh, that, Whitney. Hang, hang, right. hang on a second. This is going to drive me up the fucking wall. Sorry, I, uh, I need more than the guy with the mustache. No, no, I, I, I hear you. It's uh, Richard Chamberlain. Okay, Richard Chamberlain. Richard right. Chamberlain. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, the guy with the mustache. He had a mustache, right? Um, and uh, the Born Identity. Both versions were about uh, a CIA assassin who had lost his memory in an accident. And uh, was trying uh, gradually realizing that he doesn't have a good past. He has a very bad past. The person he is now would be ashamed of the person he was before. But he still has, like, through rote memorization, all of those skills. And has to save himself from a big conspiracy. Doug Lyman stripped that narrative down a lot. <laughs> There's yeah, a lot. Man. It's a very different from the book. It, um, it was a big hit. It was huge. I... I to this day don't quite understand it. Oh, really? I love that movie. I, I okay. was kind of bored by the film, frankly. I, I, well, but I it spawned like, all these sequels and like really influenced the way spy movies were made from then on out. And I think it takes a lot from Three Days of the Condor, and I think one of the things it does is it doesn't... Uh, uh, it doesn't make anything about being an assassin or being in the CIA or whatever. It doesn't make any of it grand. Mm. It's actually keeping it as small as possible, as much as it possibly yeah, can. I, a car chase isn't with a cool, like, you know, Miata. Like, what did I say a Miata? Miata. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we're going um, re- um, to chase in Mazdas. Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the big famous car that starts Maserati, with Maserati, perhaps? Maserati. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, you want know to get confused? Yeah. I, I was, in my head, I conflated a Maserati and a Bugatti. Oh, and, you got, got, and you got a Miata. I got a, I got a Miata. Out of it. But yeah, basically, just it's just we're gonna have a huge car chase with any other movie. But it's in a rinky-dink car that doesn't even work very good. Mm. We're gonna have like a big fight, but instead of having like a badass, awesomely choreographed fight in like a warehouse where things are exploding, it's in like an office and people are, like stabbing each other with a pen. Like it's just all very you know much more plausible mm. whenever it possibly can be. And that's what Three Days of the Condor is as well. It all feels like there's there's no gadgets there's no 
huge epic set pieces. It's actually just feels like if you were walking down the streets in New York, this could be happening around you right now and you wouldn't even know about it, mm. which I think adds to the conspiratorial flavor of it. It adds to that sort of paranoid, they're here. And in fact, uh, this was, I, I don't know if it's still the only movie that ever did, but at least for a while, it was the only movie that ever filmed inside the World Trade Center. Oh, no kidding. The CIA headquarters in the movie is in the oh. World Trade Center, and they actually got the film in the World Trade Center. And indeed, after nine so, eleven, oh. it turns out the CIA did have an office in the World Trade Center. Well, everybody, this yeah. gigantic building. Yeah, everybody, yeah, everyone yeah, did, yeah. but like the, the CIA was there too. It turns out. What are the odds? Um, so yeah, so all these sequences feel very real they don't feel sensationalized well, it, it feels real for maybe the first three quarters i think when once mm. robert redford and fade on away sleep together mm. it becomes a little bit more of a movie a little bit and the, when the pieces begin to lock together i mean that's what you want you want yeah, the pieces you want to, to lock together sure um there's a version of this where you're kind of lost throughout and i think that would be really interesting yeah yeah um it'd be very um, alienating in a very like in, in a way that would make sense with this kind of paranoid yeah, yeah. and that's why i'm fond of the movie uh, tinker taylor soldier spy I can't follow that movie. Uh, it, I even got it's, to interview the screenwriter once, and I said, what is that movie about? He says, I don't know. I we just sort of... Gotta, it's a very complicated tale. I can tell what it's about when I'm watching it, but when it's over, I couldn't summarize it. Exactly. It's just yeah, like, it's I can like, follow along, but really cool, like, wait a minute, cool who characters who? doing spy stuff, yeah. but who's working for... Who, what, what is it? And Which just, shot that guy at the but end. But it works but, for yeah. that movie because the whole point of that movie is that it's incredibly labyrinthine on purpose. Yeah, yeah to keep yeah. people lost. And I feel like there's yeah. a version of Three Days of the Condor which could leave you a little bit more lost. But sure. I know that's not the kind of movie Sidney Pollock was trying to make. No, I mean, he, he's, he he's said trying he to make making... like, a legit thriller, and it's yeah. based on this sort of pulpy novel. Yeah. In fact, Sidney Pollock even said when people said, like, oh, you're making like a Watergate-type mm. thriller, and he was like, no, I was making pulp. Yeah, I, they, yeah. But this is this is how he makes pulp. He, he wanted it to be more plausible. But, like, yeah, he wanted to make a fun thriller. Mm. And uh, so he did. Um, the plot from there on gets a little, you, you said it yourself, it start, mm. things start, the pieces start coming together. It's less about like investigating why he, uh, uses Faye Dunaway to sort of pull Cliff Robertson away from the mm. CIA so we can talk to someone more candidly about what's going on. There's a great, yeah, the great scene between uh, Faye Dunaway and Cliff Robertson and Robert Edford isn't there. Oh yeah, we're at a restaurant. Yeah, she, yeah. she sits down across from at a restaurant and says, hey... You're coming with me. It's like, who, who are you? You're just Fade Unaway. It's yeah. like, oh, sorry. I have a message from Condor. <laughs> he, and he, I love that he gives her a code name. Like, I, I'm the Sparrowhawk, and you're supposed to come with me. And she's, like, she's having a little fun for a moment. It's yeah. really great. Um, yeah, Cliff Robinson, maybe someone he could trust. Maybe not, but gives him a little bit more information about what's going on. And he under, finally understands what piece of information he had uncovered, uh, which is all a MacGuffin. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't fucking matter that, like, oh, it was all a ploy to get oil or whatever, even though actually some of the schemes ended up being eerily similar to some of America's <laughs> geopolitical plans <laughs> from the from the 80s onward. Um, but that's probably just plausible guessing at that uh -huh. point. Um, there's a fun bit, and I love the scenes in movies in the 70s where they're, like, at a phone company and they're trying to trace calls because nowadays you want to trace a call by the way if you ever see a scene in a movie today where someone says oh they weren't on the phone long enough to get a trace that's fucking bullshit they can tell you in a second 
<laughs> that is fucking bull- computers. No, now yeah, that's it. Uh, that's done. That's that's a, that's dead. The uh, the idea of triangulating a call uh, uh-huh. that comes from uh, the notion of pinging signals off of three uh, radio uh, or cell phone ra- towers. radio or cell phone towers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so th- you're essentially creating a two D space, mm-hmm. this, a triangle where the signal might be. They're triangulating yeah. the call. It's in this circle, this circle, and this circle. Where do those circles so it's, intersect? It's the, there they are. They're, they're intersecting in this particular spot. So they yeah. have triangulated the call. That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense in a way. They have, your phone has a tracker on it. Yeah. They just, they just fucking have know. it. <laughs> Nowadays, everyone has a GPS on their phone. Yeah. That didn't used to be the case, and that made more sense back then. But nowadays, you have a GPS on your phone, whether you realize it or not. I've, I've heard stories that they can just turn that shit on without you, with you even turning it off, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about that. Right. Uh, and then I, I appreciate in spy movies now, or like yeah. w- uh, where somebody's being chased, one of the first things they do is just like throw their phone in a lake. Yeah, it's like that, okay, it's wise. just a liability at yeah. that point. Like you, you it's it's not. Uh, oh, but, my Angry Birds. My, but the reason why, I know, right? I had so much, it was so many levels in. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but uh, the, but the reason why that trope exists—the idea that they weren't on the line long enough for us to find out. Is actually back when when phones were a physical bay of like computer connections, mm. and actually like and there were like people like you saw in old timey movies like connecting you with like wires to different people. Um, if you were like if someone called you and you were trying to figure out who it was, mm. there would actually be like people who would need to find like the I don't know the servo or whatever find the thing in a physical space. Mm. There's a great bit of this in the movie Black Christmas. Where they're trying to, I think it's Black Christmas, where they're trying to trace the call, and someone actually has to run around the phone company trying to find where the other end of the connection is. And they just oh, like, yeah, and the yeah. whole thing is like, they weren't on the line long enough. I were able to figure out what row it's in, oh. but unless they call back, it could be any one of the thousands of people. So, like, there was a reason because it actually had to search for it, like, physically for a while. Oh. And in the 70s, it made sense. So, when. Uh, Robert Redford needs to make a call to this. He, he he needs to figure out who Max von Sydow is working for. He has been able to figure out through a couple of clues where Max von Sydow is staying in his hotel. So he goes to a phone company and he just sneaks his way in. And he goes to a telephone junction and he calls Max von Sydow's room. And he says, basically, I'm the condor. Ha ha. Mm. And then he just waits until Max von Sydow makes a phone call. Records the tones for the phone call, figures out what the numbers correspond to, calls the telephone company to find out what what the address of that place is, finds the address of that place. Like he's got to do all of these mechanical <laughs> things, and then he finally calls the CIA. And it's the I, I I don't know if it's the first time I've ever seen at least the earliest I've ever seen this in a movie, where it's like we were able to trace Robert Redford's call, but he had it connected to like fifty different phone lines, but he actually did it in person in the building. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit more impressive. It's a really wonderful bit, and and, and this was something you had, to, you had to do until pretty recently. In yeah. the 1995 movie Hackers, yeah, uh, there was a bit where they had to dupe the FBI, that the the hackers, and in order to hack, they needed a phone line. Yeah, so they went to like public phones to plug in their computers to mm-hmm. hack in undetected, but in order to throw off the FBI, they went to other pay phones. Yeah, took off the receivers uh, from two phones next to each other mm-hmm. and taped the receivers to one another, uh-huh. so they could like communicate through two different phone lines from yeah. two different locations, and that was enough. That was a gag I saw in the movie FX as well, another great thriller from the eighties. Uh, the <laughs> F- one FX had, is pretty fun. 
on. The, the gag that like, too is where it's at. The other gag I liked in, in Hackers, which I don't know, have no idea how true this is, but mm. um, uh, you could record like when you press the number, you would hear like a little beeping noise on the line, like. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Mm. If you recorded that and just played it into the phone, you can make free long distance calls on a payphone. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but that's a neat idea. There were tricks like that. Like you could whistle or click because it was a click system Uh and dial that way. Ah. Uh, I heard there's um, a This American Life story about a a blind kid who figured out how to make free international calls just by listening to a phone really carefully and and whistling into the receiver. I remember I heard somewhere, um, it's kind of unlikely to come up now but um there was a way to call 911 without dialing like hmm. if you were if, like let's say like something there was an emergency or whatever like the uh on a on a on a uh, landline hmm. uh there's actually like a button you press to hang up the phone the phone doesn't hang up just by being vertical it's like pressing down on a button hmm. in order to close the connection uh however if you and you see this in old movies sometimes, where like someone will hang up and they'll press that button a couple of times just to check the connection. Mm. Um, if you press that nine times and then once mm. and then once, apparently you could call nine one one that way. Oh no, no idea. I, 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 I heard, if, I read that in like a home it, safety thing. Or if you something. do it a couple times, it dials the operator. Yeah, that, that's why people would do that. They, yeah, it's like, oh no, okay, the the line's still open. I just hit the the mm-hmm. hang up a little bit. When you still hung it up. Yeah, uh, we're talking. Remember we're, phones? We're, we're boring people so bad. <laughs> I had a rotary dial telephone. Anyway, uh, Robert Redford is able to figure out who's who and what's what. And finally he figures out who the main guy, the conspiracy guy is Mm. at the CIA. And he goes to his house in the middle of the night and he finds the most thematically appropriate funk song to put on the radio. (laughs) And it's just like, I gotcha! And you were part of a CIA conspiracy! Yeah! Like, it's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. It was James Brown singing, you were part of a CIA conspiracy. (laughs) Um, but he's got a he got him at gunpoint. He finds out that the MacGuffin was they wanted oil and shit. And then Max von Sydow shows I do, up. I do yeah. like how pathetic that character. Oh yeah, is. when they catch the bad guys, he's not like, a oh, he's not a super just, villain. He's we're just doing stuff because we want money. And he's power. a middle management shithead yeah. who got in over his head. He's like uh, William H Macy in Fargo if you worked at the CIA. Yeah, I, and I imagine like if if you were to catch like a real bad guy, mm-hmm. you know the, these these shitheads in office who are just pulling yeah. all this like horrendous terrible things. They would, they're not tough guys who are going to, like, no. leap over desks or anything to get out of stuff. No. They're just, no, it's just what I did. You wouldn't be Weasley yeah. if you had are, are if you, you had actual bravado. No. Are, are you apologetic? No. Yeah. Uh, do you feel bad about what you did? No. You're going to keep doing what you did? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like, there's no, there's no shame. <laughs> Max Juancito shows up, and at first it seems like, oh, shit, here we go. Like Robert, oh, Robert Redford's screwed. Yeah, because he's he's in the ba- in, in the room with the head bad guy and the assassin and the assassin. And then, and I love this. I love this whole bit. It's so fucking great because Robert Redford's so fucking confused. Max von Sydow shoots the bad guy, <laughs> and Robert's like, "What? What? Like he's the audience. He has no idea what's fucking going on." And finally, figures it out. The CIA rehired Max von Sydow. <laughs> So now he's working for, if not the good guys, at least not the conspiracy guy. Mm. And Robert Redford's like, but you were going to kill me. It's like, and now I'm not. I don't care. <laughs> Hired me to kill this guy now. You're, you are you just happen to be here. I'm not after you. And then he's like, you want to ride back into town? <laughs> and there's this whole bit where he's just walking out of the house. He's like wiping fingerprints off of stuff, having a casual conversation. And Robert Redford's just... 
he's got a moment with the professional hitman who was trying <coughs> to kill him, oh. and he's just like, I don't get you. <laughs> and Max Lucido lays out his entire life philosophy yeah. to him, and he even says, you know, they're going to kill you. Maybe not right away, but someday you are a liability to them. They do not. You are not a company man anymore. One day, someone's just going to drive up to you and say, "Hey, get in the car," and you get in the car, and then you'll be dead. So, what you should do is what I do. You'd be great at it. Be a hitman. <laughs> Move to Europe. And Robert Everett's like, "No, that's not me." Next one, he was like, "You're lost." And Robert was like, and, okay. "And they shake hands and they fire." And then he's just like, "Can I get? Can you get me right to the train station?" Next one, he was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, get on it." <laughs> So much. You, you murdered all my friends, scene. but yeah, I love that because there was nothing personal. He didn't. He was, I mean, he's a bad person. Yeah, but like you could have a beer with him. <laughs> like, well, also, well, and and it's that moment where Robert Redford. You know, we, yeah. we're talking about how he's sort of like the the glittering golden boy, the okay yeah. one, the moral guy. He's not. He understands that what he works for is is sort of this corrupt organization. Completely tainted. And, and yeah. so by association, he is yeah. tainted. Which leads to the actual ending of the movie wherein he goes to New York. He sees, I almost said William Devane. He sees Cliff Robertson uh, and there's a car approaching him. Looks like Max Lancita's prediction is going to come true. Mm. And then he pulls it. He says he's got a gun and he holds it to Cliff Robertson and he says, keep walking. And he says, so all of this was because you would come up with a scheme to basically invade the Middle East and take all of their oil. Okay, movie, let's do this. Yeah, that, uh, that lands a little different yeah. now, doesn't it? And then William Devane is like, we came up with a plan no, in oh, case not- we ever wanted to use it. Hmm. We didn't actually plan to use it. This guy jumped the gun and decided <laughs> to just make it happen yeah, today. You, you called him William Devane. I did, didn't I? <laughs> Cliff Robertson's like, we, Cliff we, Robertson. we, we come up with a whole bunch of ideas just in case we ever need an idea all of a sudden. And this guy said, that's a good idea. I'll just do it now. Hmm. And he's like, but it's okay. We stopped him, and now it's over. And Robert Redford has a great line. You're you're so far gone. You think not getting caught in a lie is the same as telling the truth? Hmm. Like he's just like I'm completely disillusioned with the entire system right now. And Cliff Robertson's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. Oh, and then he's like, okay, well, here's the deal. We're literally in front of the New York Times right now. I've given them the whole story, and they're going to publish it. And William Vane's like, you stupid fuck. And Robert Everett's like, haha, I got you. And then the great fucking bit at the end. Robert Everett's walking away, and Cliff Robertson says, how do you know they'll publish it? Robert's like, well, they got it, right? They're, they're a newspaper? William Devane. And Cliff Robertson. I'll do it forever now. Cliff Robertson's just like, probably won't and you know because you're watching the movie they did not that was not in the paper Uh, which is just like again nowadays i watch movies like i don't know like the nice guys or clear and present danger any movie that ends with the hero getting information getting information to the press go to the press or or congress or someone they're gonna tell someone that here's the bad guy conspiracy that's going on and the movie ends because the assumption is and then they'll do the right thing right that is not what actually happens most of the time. Mm. Most of the time, people either get away with shit, or get a slap on the wrist, or they'll get pardoned as soon as they're on parties in office again, or some bullshit. And this movie never doesn't quite say it out loud, but it does say there is no guarantee anything. Mm. And then and then the camera like freeze frames on Robert Redford like we just saw his last known photograph, and it's really cynical and beautiful, and I love it. Uh, I really dug three days of the Condor. This great, is the first it? time I had seen it. Yeah. Uh, it it 
makes the the whole like conspiracy spy genre click into place a little bit better. This is one of the films is, that really yeah. codified it, really, especially yeah. especially in like the second half. Of the, Hitchcock mm. did a whole run of it, but this is a, the modern version. I yeah, think we've been I, we've been chasing this ghost ever since. I, I mentioned that I'm I'm not a, a huge fan of uh, the Captain America movie that's mm-hmm. imitating this movie. I like it less now. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh, that Captain America movie, that's bullshit now. You're just trying to rip off this movie. Every bit of it. And also uh, Condor Man just ripped off every bit of Three Days of the Condor. Uh, Condor Man was an original idea. It, no, I'm not, I, will, I, will not def- I will defend Condor Man. Condor it's actually Man's, not very good. Condor Man sucks. <laughs> it's so bad. We like, to, we like to talk about Condor Man as sort of this like forgotten superhero I, thing, but it's just not a good movie. I don't like to talk about Condor Man at all, actually. Uh, it's one of those things like Disney made a superhero movie in the 80s and it starred like Oliver Reed and like ooh how exciting I bet that's an underappreciated gem no it sucks no it's it's just about it's not underappreciated it's really really badly made like oof it's a hard watch actually yikes yeah, about a special effects guy who becomes a... No, a, comic book artist. A comic book artist, yeah, He came right. up with a superhero named Condor Man. But he has, and but he has the Condor suit. He ends up making the Condor... It's, here's, how, here's how like completely like fucked up the pitch to Condor Man is. It is about a comic book artist who is asked to be, in real life, not the superhero he created, but a secret agent. Mm. Why not the superhero he created, or why not have him be someone who writes spy stories? Mm. Why this fucking disconnect? Because at the end, when he puts on a fucking ridiculous-looking Condor Man costume, <laughs> it doesn't even fit the genre we're parodying anymore. It doesn't oh, make man. any sense. It's awful. Uh, Not like I get equating spy movies and superhero stories because that's what James Bond is. He's a superhero. Yeah, he just doesn't yeah. have like a mask. But like that movie's terrible. Condor I mean, the Condor is quite good though. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the uh, the sort of paranoid uh, bit that goes through like the first half of Captain America, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're you're just you're doing this, yeah. you're just doing this, yeah, you're, you're doing this, but in like a comic book way. So there's like flying, exploding drone stuff, and yeah. then, you know. Uh, 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 oh, what's it? Uh, oh, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, what's the name of that character? The one in the title. Yeah, uh, the Winter Soldier. Like this guy with a fake arm, and we don't know how he got there. And it's, it turns out he was this dead guy, and he came back from the grave. It's like, oh, what a mis- what a mystery. And then they reveal the mystery. It's like the dumbest thing. It's like such yeah. a dumb twist. We had super floating battleships. Super- and they were gonna and they had, and they had a kill list. They were gonna kill Ooh. everyone cool, including Doctor Strange before he had magic. I don't know why. I guess we just thought he was a dick. <laughs> He, he was. Oh, that's right. They they named Doctor like, Strange. Yeah, yeah, we got we got a whole list of people who are going to make trouble for the for the secret Nazis in the government. People like Doctor Strange, and everyone's like, "Ooh, I guess that means Doctor Strange is a superhero already. We just haven't met him yet." And it's actually like, "No, nah, he's just a doctor who's an asshole. We assume he'll be an asshole someday, so we better kill him." I guess that did not pan out. Uh, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> The, the the notion in that movie that uh, there were secret Nazis hiding out in the government this whole time, A, uh, they're in plain sight, yeah. uh, B, the way they stage it, it's like, oh, well, whenever some the government ever did something kind of shady, it wasn't, like, just a natural failing of the U.S. government. Yeah. It was actually, like, a really... This, like, con- weird scapegoating this cons- Yeah, this consortium of Nazis who were hiding yeah. out just trying to make America look... It's like, that it, was it such kinda, a bad idea, it kinda, right? It kind of suggests, by the construct of the premise... Mm-hmm. That the American government is good. It was oh. only the secret cabal. Yeah, exactly. Of, now, granted, it, it, it's trying there, to exonerate all of America's ills by pinning it on the secret cabal of Nazis. There are people with 
terrible agendas and extremist views who do make it into the government on one level or another, whether it's, uh, you know, the politicians in Congress or local police. Like, there are, there are people who are not good people who get jobs in government and mm. unfortunately have influence and do bad things. But the, the irony of saying, and there's a, there are secret super Nazis mm. in the government... Is that it lets everyone else off the hook. Yeah. Which yeah. is a little ironic. It was pretty bold for when it came out. And I still like that movie for like a mainstream summer movie to say, by the way, there are Nazis in the American government. Yeah. Well, like, that, it, that, it that's come... pretty big for Marvel to do at that moment in time. Like, I'll give them that. Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of also a cop out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But... Whatever. I, that movie's and, still pretty good. As, as the PG-13 kids movie version of Three Days of the Condor. I'd su that's I suppose fine. so. Yeah. That's if, fine. If, if, you're, if a... Yeah. I feel like a 14-year-old could watch Three Days of the Condor and be pretty thrilled, but, like, an 8-year-old would want to see Captain America. It, it's it's a little, like, there's a lot of, like, adults doing adult stuff, and I don't mean, like, sexy stuff. Oh. I mean, like, going to work. Right. You know, like, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that I think a, a lot of younger people might tune out a little bit just because it's not very eventful. They talked about this movie in uh, Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight. Oh, did they? Um... Uh, they, in fact, they talk yes, about they, their, they talk about uh, Faye Dunaway's character. Yeah, and they uh, also like, and they also bring up Network as well because of that because they got they talk about Peter Finch. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this is part of that. I, and if if I recall, they brought up that they also didn't buy the romance in that movie, which is paralleled by the romance in, in Out of in Sight outside, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah, you buy it in Out of Sight because that's kind of the point of Out of Sight is the romance. It's well, not about sort of the broader uh, crime story. Well, the romance also takes on a very different form. He doesn't kidnap her and hold her at gunpoint for a certain period of time it's a really quick thing and then they're locked in a place together and then they chat colloquially there's no like secrets there's no like everyone well, everyone's on the same government, page like he's a yeah. bank robber and she's a fan yeah. like it's not as high stakes yeah it's it's much more like street level kind of stuff mm -hmm. and it, it, it works better in that one because both people know what they're doing and have agency rather mm -hmm. than one person who is held at gunpoint and in the dark and thinks this person might kill them it's a different vibe, mm. but uh, out of sight rules. That's a really good movie. Um, anyway, that's it for Critically Reclaimed this week. You hope you enjoyed uh, joining us. Enjoyed joining us. That enjoyed works. joining us. Yeah, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed joining yeah. us for this joyous joy trip through through joyous three days of the John Door. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Next time on Critically Reclaimed, uh, we're going to a streaming service we haven't gone to in a while. This is actually. Uh, Kino Cult, K-I-N-O-C-U-L-T. It is a free streaming service with ads. Uh, you can also pay for it and get the ads removed. Uh, and it's got an interesting selection of sort of oddball art house and also uh, European and like classic genre films. A lot of exploitation movies. Yeah. Uh, some, you know... Uh with a bit of a, a classy imprimatur, but each one is is a little bit um, skewed in a way. Yeah. So they belong in... You could easily see them as a cult movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so <clears throat> uh, the options you can vote for over at Critically Acclaimed... Sorry, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, which the poll should be up by the time this episode uh, has been released, are as follows. And again, at least mm. one of us hasn't seen this movie before. Uh, White Zombie... Starring Bella Lugosi, it is the uh, mm -hmm. film that uh, White Zombie got its name from. It's a horror movie Sorry. about zombies. This is before Sorry. George A. Romero changed what we thought of as zombies. 
So starring Bela Lugosi, Madge Bellamy, and a bunch of other people I've never heard of. Uh, uh, also, we've got Ms. 45, one of the most famous and yet also celebrated uh, uh, exploitation cult films of the 80s. Uh, we've got Rawhead Rex, a monster movie based on a story by Clive Barker about a monster named Rawhead Rex. And then lastly, Stunt Rock. Whitney, do me a favor, because mm. I've never I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal, I've never <laughs> seen Stunt Rock. Okay. Give people the gist uh, of Stunt Rock. I, I have seen Stunt Rock. I've seen Stunt Rock on the big screen. What is uh, Stunt Rock? Uh, Stunt Rock is, um, it's essentially just a showcase for all really famous stunt per- people. Uh, it was directed by uh, Brian Trenchard Smith. Mm-hmm. We've, we've visited Brian Trenchard Smith uh, on, on this program before. Yeah, this, was it Escape 2000? Was, was uh, Turkey Shoot. Yeah. Turkey Shoot, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think also known as Escape 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so we another uh, Brian let, let me look up the name. Uh, Grant Page is the name of the stuntman. And mm-hmm. uh, Brian Trenchard Smith and Grant Page got together and said, hey, let's make a movie about you, a stuntman. Okay, and how are we going to how are we gonna jazz this up? Well, let's find a real rock band uh-huh. and make a movie about you teaming up with a real rock band. So they, they rock out and, and so, they do yeah. stunts. And that's the movie. The band is called Sorcery. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, that's one of the options, but we'll review whichever one our patrons vote for. I can't wait to see which one you pick. They're all going to be a lot of... They're all going to be a big discussion. I don't know if they're all going to be fun. Some of these are actually pretty intense, but it should be an interesting discussion regardless. Um, anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. It means the world to us. Uh, uh, you can also uh, leave us a review if you want to help the show, if you can't afford to join the Patreon. Patreon has a lot of exclusive shows in it. There's a lot, a lot of bang for your buck. But yeah. Reviews really, really help us out a lot. So wherever you find us, you can even just write a sentence. It really helps. Mm. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and, of course, if you want to join in the discussion, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Send us an actual physical letter. Send it to Condor. P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and by all means, ask us any questions you want. Do you uh, know something about this movie that we didn't get a chance to bring up? Were you around when it came out and have some context you'd like to add? Or do you just want us to talk about something for you? We'll do it. Just send us an email or a letter and we'll talk about it on our podcast, We've Got Mail. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Once again, we'll be back next time with whatever you vote for on Kino Cult. And the podcast ends now. Yes, it's Condor Days out at the Sizzler. (laughs) Get all you can eat, Condor. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.